0: yesterday that if you cannot do a dive forward roll at 4, 14, or 24, you will not be able to do a dive forward roll at 34. And I threw out my back pretty badly. And so this morning, I stopped at the gas station, and I bought a 24-ounce coffee and a bottle of Aleve. And I set it down on the counter and was talking to the cashier, and he says, where are you headed this morning? I said, church. And he looks down at my Aleve and my coffee, and he says, that bad, Huh? To which I replied, well, I'm teaching, so hopefully not. (laughs) But today we are talking about the challenge, this idea of obedience, which a lot of you, when you hear the word obedience, it is painful. We might immediately think of praise or punishment. And yet what the Bible teaches about obedience is that that word, when God says obey me, it literally just means listen with the intent to follow. And so pray with me this morning as we ask God to help us to listen. Lord, we just know that you are not a God of corporal punishment, but a God of grace. And Lord, may we put aside any preconceptions we have about obedience, about punishment or praise, blessings or cursings, Lord, and may we just hear your voice. And may we listen with the intent to follow. Amen. I am a total sucker for those feel-good clips that people put on Facebook. My husband laughs because I'm always sitting there with my iPhone, and I never wear my glasses, so it's always right here, and I'm like sobbing as I watch these videos. So when someone posted one a couple days ago that said, get out the tissues, I was all over it. And the video, perhaps you've seen it or maybe you've heard the story, was about a women's softball team, college softball team in Washington. And this softball team was playing to go to the national championship. And it was the final game, it was the deciding game. And this young girl steps up to the plate. There's two runners on base. She's five foot two. In her words, she says, I'm not more of a line drive kind of a hitter. I'm not very big. In fact, in her entire career, she had never hit a home run. But on that day, in that moment, the ball hits the bat, and it goes flying over the fence. And in her excitement, she begins to run, and the first runner comes in, and the second runner comes in, and the coach looks up and sees that the hitter, who had hit the ball out of the park, was now clinging to first base and sobbing. In her excitement, she had run past first base and not touched it, and when she realized, she turned back and tore her ACL. And all she could do was just lay on the ground, hugging the base, and cry. And so the coach goes to the umpire and she says, what happens if I send in a runner for her? And the umpire says, well, it becomes a two-run single and not a home run. And the coach knew this was this kid's only home run in her entire career, her entire life. And so the coach says, well, what if we help her? And he said, no, the rules say you cannot touch her. And so one of the players from the other team stood up and said, what if we carry her? And the umpire says, there's nothing in the rule book about the other team carrying her around the bases. So the other team picked her up, and they carried her from base to base, stopped long enough for her to touch the base with her foot. And she got her home run. And the coach said the amazing thing. She looked at the camera, and she said, you know, there is something to be said for the right people being in the right place at the right time and doing the right thing. Rob last week introduced us to the book of Haggai and the remnant that had left Babylon and come back to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple and come back to the promised land that God had given. They were the right people at the right time, in the right place, doing the right thing. You see, when Cyrus gave the decree that people could leave, the Jews could leave Babylon, that they no longer had to be slaves, they were no longer captives there, there were Millions, but only 42,000 actually went. Many stayed because Babylon was comfortable. Many stayed because they had created a life in Babylon, and why go? So here they were, the right people, the right time, the right place, and they were doing the right things. They were being obedient, but their obedience kept being cut short. It kept having this stopping point. You see, because they left Babylon and they came back and they found rubble. Jerusalem had been plundered again and again and again, and all that was left was rubble. And they came back with the intention to rebuild the temple, but then the harvest was bad, and they didn't have much. And they didn't have a king And so they just started to try to get by. They left. They came back. And then they stopped. They heard the decree. They heard from God. They knew what they were supposed to do. They had heard from the prophets that they were to rebuild, and yet they stopped. They knew obedience to be this covenantal, relational thing between them and God. Over and over, you hear, Obey my voice, obey my voice, obey my voice. And what comes after it? And I will bless you. And I will be your God, and you will be my people. And I will bring you into the land that I promised you. There was this blessing on the other side of obedience, and they had taken that step to obedience, but they couldn't see the blessing. In the Old Testament, Obedience was the test of their faith and the tenet of their relationship with God. And yet they had done the right thing and still there was rubble. And their obedience stopped. And they just started to just get by. In the New Testament, obedience is still relational, but it's no longer the tenet of our relationship. It's the proof of our relationship. You see, we don't rely on our obedience to God for blessing. We walk in the blessing of the obedience of Christ. But he tells us, if you love me, you obey my commandments. There's this reflection that happens that as we love him, as we have relationship with him, obedience reflects back in our lives. But sometimes we stop. I have this 120-pound rescued Weimariner who I think really loves me. We rescued him. I provide housing for him. I let him sleep on my bed. I feed him. I scoop his poop out of the backyard. I'm really convinced that he loves me. And then this Friday, my husband cooked steak, and we were sitting at the table, and my dog's eyes were honed in on that, sne- that steak, and he was literally smiling. And I had this revelation, my dog does not love me. My dog loves steak. Because I tell my dog to get off the bed, and he looks at me like I've lost my mind. I tell him to sit, and he looks at me like I've lost my mind. I tell him to do anything, and he looks at me like, I don't have to, I'm 120 pounds, and I'm way stronger than you are. But in that moment, I could have told him to stand up and dance to the song Happy, and he would have done it if he got the steak for it. And I realized in that moment that I am somewhere below pickles and barely above blue peeps when it comes to my dog's love. You see, we are obedient, and we are obedient, and then suddenly we see stake. We're obedient, and we're obedient, then all of a sudden we say, but I wanted this, and I expected this, and if I'm doing all the right things, God, why don't I have? Because we think of obedience as, if I do, then this will happen. If I'm good, then I will be praised. If I'm good, then I will get. And God is saying, No. Your obedience has nothing to do with blessings. I've already given you those. I've provided for you. I scoop your poop, right? It's not about the stake. This is what had happened to the people in Haggai. They wanted the abundance that they had known in the promised land before. God was saying, I have a greater blessing for you. It's not about the stake. It's not about doing so we get. It's about walking in the obedience of Christ and reflecting back obedience. We love because he loved us. We show mercy because we received mercy. We give because he has provided. And so last week, we found out that the Haggai came and he said to the people, it's time to build. You've stopped. You've, you're, you've just been trying to get by, and now it's time to start again. And they did. And they lasted less than a month. You see, they got the foundation laid. And then we know from Ezra that there were people there who remembered the old temple. And they looked at this foundation, and they looked at their resources and what they had to build the temple, and they began to weep they literally stood on the foundation of the temple and cried because they knew that there was no way that it would be as beautiful as costly as splendid as the one before it they began to compare what it would have that or what it would not have that the other one would have they began to compare the amount of gold and silver that the other one had that they would not have they began to compare that Solomon had access to all ends of the earth and he literally decorated the temple with things from all ends of the earth and they had no access to anything. And they stopped because they decided it wasn't enough. They compared and decided it wasn't enough. So often we stop. we look at what we have, and we decide it's not enough. Jesus told the disciples, the people are hungry, feed them, and they said, all we have is this. How could we? Or we begin to compare to what other people have or what other people are doing, and we decide that what we have or what we're doing just doesn't matter, be compared to what they are doing. And so we stop. When Jesus told Peter, you're going to serve the Gentiles, and you're going to die a martyr's death, and he looked at, at, at the Lord, his Lord, and he said, what about John? What are you going to do with him? Because he wanted to know if what Jesus was giving him was good enough. When we, right before we moved here, my husband and I were in a situation for a period of time where we were told we weren't enough for a number of years. And I didn't realize it until we recently, or I guess I knew but I ignored, that there were so many things in my life back home that I just cut off because I didn't think I was enough. I quit trying. I quit going. I quit engaging. And the one thing that I had just poured myself into was my job. I was working like 60 hours a week because I loved my job. You know why? Because people there told me, that I was enough. I worked as a personal trainer and a fitness instructor, and I I worked at universities, and I worked at, I went out to the Hewlett Packard, and I taught their lunchtime classes, and I taught at the um, senior center with all the old ladies, and I taught at my, my home, my gym at home. And everyone there told me, great class. That was awesome. I had a reputation as being the hardest instructor in the club, and it meant so much to me that at least I had a reputation that I thought was good. And there was nothing wrong with that, except that that was the only thing that I was engaging in. Because it was the only place that I felt like I was enough. And then we moved here, and I started to look for jobs. And I went to the YMCA, and they said, you have all these certifications and all this experience, but every single one of our classes requires a different certification, and you don't have any of them. And I looked at jobs doing personal training, but every single one of them required tons of sales. And if there's something I'm terrible at, it's selling things. And I went to Lifetime, and they told me pretty much somebody has to die in order to get a job as a fitness instructor there. And so I have ended up, and although God has been gracious enough to let me now teach a little bit at those other places, the one place that was willing to take me was my daughter's gymnastics gym. And as you know from the beginning of the sermon, I know absolutely nothing about gymnastics. And they told me that's okay as long as you're good with kids. And I'm like, have you met my kids? I'm not sure I'm good with kids. (laughs) But this week I subbed in and I was teaching a beginner's class and they were walking all over me and they would not stop singing. Every time I went in to give directions, they'd start singing the Frozen songs, any of them, all of them, all at the same time, nine kids staring at me singing Frozen songs. And I finally stopped and I just said, look, if we can get through the rest of class, we will, as a group, finished this with with Let It Go. And they stopped talking, and we got through the class, and sure enough, at the very end, we walked through that gym, me with nine girls behind me, singing Frozen, Let It Go, all the way through the gym, and the entire gym stopped (laughs) and watched. You see, when we only do the things that we're good enough for, we miss out on the things that God might have. When we only do the things that we're good enough for, we don't have to engage in anything. But I will tell you, I have prayed harder since I started working at the gymnastics gym than I have ever prayed for any other gym in my life. I know I'm going into the wolves, and I better be prepared. Those three-year-olds will eat you alive if you are not prepared. You see, I wasn't enough. I know absolutely nothing about gymnastics. But I pray every day, Lord, make me enough. See, that's the thing. God's response to the people is, I have all the gold and the silver. Be strong. I am with you. You see, our our resources, our talents, our abilities, our jobs, our position, those are all tools that God will use because God is good and he wants to use those things. But they are not the things that make us enough. You do not have to look at what's in your hands or what you're capable of or how much money you have to know whether or not God can use you or God can do things with you or whether or not you can be obedient to his call. You just have to look to him because he is enough. Be strong he says. Not because you have all the resources. He says I have all the resources those I don't need. Be strong because I'm with you. His grace is sufficient we're told. His strength is made perfect in our weakness. It is his sufficiency That keeps us obedient, that keeps us walking. And the minute we start to rely on what we have, we will stop. As the people in Haggai stopped. They lasted a month. And then they stood and wept. Because when they looked around, what they had was not enough. Fear not, God says. Be strong. He says, my glory will fill this temple. And this will be greater than the first. Imagine what they're thinking. All we have is rubble. The harvest is terrible. We don't have a king. We are nowhere near where we were when we built the first. How on earth can this be greater? Because his glory would be what fills it. Greater than all the riches from the east and the west that Solomon was able to gather would be the glory of God in this temple. The glory is a hard thing to define. I tried. I spent two days trying to define glory. And what I found was that it encapsulates this idea of God's riches, his honor, his resources, his presence. It is his very attribute. And it's amazing to realize that though this temple that they are now building was torn down, what remained was the foundation. And upon that foundation, Christ himself would walk. Upon that foundation, Christ himself would stand and teach and heal. Upon that foundation that they stood and wept over, the Savior came and stood. His glory was there. And it is that temple that is spoken of when, the, when Christ died on the cross and we hear that the earth shook and the world turned black and the veil was torn in the temple from top to bottom. The veil that held the Holy of Holies, the veil, the place where only one person could go once a year was torn and God's glory filled the place. What was beautiful, what was glorious, the peace that they had, in this temple was because it was here that Christ would be. It was here that he would minister. Be strong. I'm with you. and My glory will fill this place. Last week Rob talked about the call of our prophet to turn from your selfish ways and the next step in that is to take up your cross. People hear that word, take up your cross, and they think, oh, it's some burden I have to bear. We have to realize when those words were written, the cross was a symbol of death. That was all it meant to the people reading. It was assured death. It was Paul who wrote, I die that Christ might live through me. You see, when David first wanted to build a temple. God said, I don't dwell in houses. <laughs> and then in the second temple, he says, My glory will be there. And now he says to us, You are the temple of the living God. He dwells in you. The glory that was in the temple is now in you why Paul writes that we have this treasure in pots of clay. I don't know about you, but I don't feel like I am anywhere near the splendor of the temple built with gold and silver. And God says that's not the point. It's not about the gold and the silver. It's the fact that I am with you, and that is enough. You see, when that softball team carried those girls around those bases, their choice to carry her around the bases, they lost the game. And that girl, she still tore her ACL, and her season was still ended. You see, it wasn't this total happy ending where everything was perfect, but that wasn't the point. The girls say as they carried her around the bases, they looked up at at the stands expecting everybody to be applauding and cheering, and instead everybody was crying because there was something about people doing the right thing in the right place at the right time every day of your life you are the right person in the right place in the right time to do the right thing so that God's glory can be present here it may not work out perfect there might still be rubble It may not look like what you expected. There may be no stake. But that's not what matters. We are vessels. We are created for God's glory. And every day when you are obedient, when you make that choice, God's glory is revealed. God's glory is seen. See, the people in those stands saw something beautiful. The people that are around you see Christ in you. So when you hear his voice, when you hear his call to obedience, we respond because we love him. We reflect back what we have received. And we know that he's with us and we know that it's enough. For each of us, we might be in a different place. Maybe you're still in Babylon waiting to come out. Maybe you're staring at the rubble in your life going, this is not what I expected when I decided that I was going to live for God and I'm just going to try to get by now. Maybe you hear his voice but you stare at what you have and you think it's just not enough the message is the same be strong God is with you and that is enough let's pray Lord we do just thank you that your (coughs) grace is sufficient that it's not about what we do it's about what you've done Lord, we just pray that our ears would just be a little more in tune to you in the week to come. And when we hear, may we listen with the intent to obey. May we see the people in our lives who just want to sing, and may we give them the opportunity.